which was crucial because what we wanted to do was to open up this estate and allow other people to come in and see another side to this life. That is what Big Art does. It takes the story from the fringes and brings it to the mainstream and in doing so challenges the perceptions that people have to those outsiders, whether they're single mothers, whether they're isolated indigenous communities. And it's important that that story gets brought to the main stage and we challenge those preconceived ideas yeah. about what people think. Welcome to the act of storytelling. We want to debate, investigate and entertain. Join us as we challenge the human experience by speaking to people who impact the world through art. Chapter 2, Podcast 8, Christopher Saunders. Hi everybody. I'm Lauren Bailey. And I'm Nick Kane. And welcome to the act of storytelling. First off, we would like to show our respect and acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land of elders, past and present, on which this podcast recording today takes place. And of course, it's March, the beginning of autumn, which I personally love, and time for Chapter 2, Podcast 8. Yay! Yeah! Now, I don't know about you, Nick, but I have felt a bit of a big shift personally since we last recorded. What's been on your mind? Oh, a big shift. I don't know whether it's a big shift or a big omission <laughs> that I've felt this month. I've noticed that there's a distinct lack of Nick Kane and Lauren Bailey at this year's Oscars ceremony. Have you noticed <laughs> that, Lauren? It's a bloody crying shame. Oh, what? I was there. I didn't see Were you? <laughs> didn't think to send me an invite, obviously. Awkward. Awkward. <laughs> uh, oh, well. well, let's see where we're at and yes. what's happening for the month ahead and see if we can fix... The Oscars issue for next year. How about that? Yes, let's see if we can fix that. So my month has been obviously an interesting one, not going to the Oscars, but there's been other things going on in my life and I've got a little topic that I wanted to talk about this month, which was around the importance of routine. Aha. Uh, as you know, Lauren, my life has been in full swing <laughs> recently. I've got used to the Newcastle lifestyle I have been making trips to Sydney for auditions and sometimes that's meant, you know, same day turnaround. So, you know, I'll go to an audition in the morning and then I'll hear, hey, they want you back in the afternoon and I'll jump back on that train and go back into Sydney. Get out, really? Yeah, yeah. So, look, it, it's not without its challenges, but it is working. Living the uh, life. Living the life. So glamorous. What a rock star lifestyle. But one thing I have noticed is, and one thing I addressed this month was, the idea of routine because uh, when you have a little one come into your life and there's other things going on like moving cities and so forth, everyone knows what's been going on in my life if they've been listening to the podcast, you really realize that you become quite reactive and routine is so important. So I sat down yeah. and I know you hear the word routine, right, Lauren, and you go, that sounds about as exciting that sounds about as exciting as an accountancy Christmas party, <laughs> which just as a side note, accountancy Christmas parties, I think can be pretty wild. I'm not. I know a few crazy accountants. <laughs> so do I. That's. I have a lot of fun. Yeah, they worry me. <laughs> but it is important. I think routine to mention this is that you get routine so that you can have time for fun 
that's what I found, especially at the moment. Yeah. You know, Talk I will. I, yeah, of course. <laughs> I will plan my routine with all the things that it needs. So, you know, yes, I've got to give some time to Harper, to the dog, to family and chores. But also then you've got to get in your routine, the artistic time that you have to use, your work time. You fill that schedule and then you make sure there's time for you. I think that's important that you don't lose that because to me, my sense of playfulness and curiosity is key to me being a well-balanced performer and creative, right? Absolutely. I think it's also important to be conscious of finding fun inside the routine as well. Mm, That's right. Yes, 100%. But I think it is important to have the space (laughs) and the ability to go, rightio, today's for me or today is my opportunity to switch the brain off maybe a little bit and just yeah. and just yeah have fun oh well that sounds very exciting it does sound like we've both been going through some big stuff yeah firstly i'd like in speaking about my month i'd like to throw back to podcast seven uh-huh. where we obviously interviewed each other and looked at the learnings from our own creative journeys but also from the podcast so far and it turned out this was actually a real gift for me in helping me to be clear on sort of where I am at this point in my journey Mm. and to sort through the things that I'm choosing to bring into my life. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've been conscious of this need to focus and align exactly what that is that I'm working on and toward. And things have definitely, as I said, shifted since the last podcast in a, in a big way that has had a, some positives come out of it. Fantastic. Um, and I guess I say that because one of the things that I think really was a, the final catalyst for this shift that I, I've sort of been thinking around these things and then something happened to make things even clearer for me and that was that my wonderful grandmother passed away in February. Yeah, very sorry to hear. And I was very close to her and it has been all of the things that someone you love passing away can be. Mm-hmm. And... In looking forward again from that, it's helped me to consolidate the things that that I really want to keep as part of my life Mm. and that I really do want to be working toward. We've got as much time as we have. (laughs) What do we want to do with that time? Mm. And what can I let go of to let that happen? And, And I guess also part of that is coming together with family. So there's been some clarity on my career front, Mm. but also a real reconnection with my own family who I'm very close to and also a lot of our relatives. I think when something like that so personal happens, it's amazing how it can just bring your focus to a laser level in regards to going, you know what, all this extra kerfuffle around me, you start to remember what's important and it takes you back to your purpose in life. Once again, I'm sure your grandma was a massive supporter of what you did and she's always going to be there with you and it's such a lovely thing to be able to come together with family, align and then move forward at such a tragic time but move forward in a positive way. Absolutely. And to give you the motivation that you need to deal with the big scary goals that you've set yourself for the year. Yes. Um, and I think yeah, I'll there talk some about, big scary goals. I think I'll talk more about how that has motivated me on the other side of the interview today. Yeah, beautiful. And that is what we're going to do now. We're going to transition into the interview. And I couldn't be more excited to bring this man onto the podcast. He has been working wonders in my new hometown of Newcastle and, of course, across the globe. He is an arts and social change agent, a creative producer and an actor. 
He is Christopher Saunders. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Christopher. And of course, we're currently sitting in your fantastic home studio, a place which you have built as a creative haven for your very talented playwright wife, Vanessa Bates. We've actually uh, reappropriated her writing. Oh, yes. should we? I should announce that. You can that. tell her oh, that. Okay. I will yeah. tell her that. <laughs> We've reappropriated the writing table for our own purposes, but uh, we'll promise we'll put everything back where it came from. Moving right along to start with, we'll get you to read your story for us, Christopher. Okay, so my creative life has been accumulative. Everything I've done has contributed in some way to where I find myself now. It's a journey I'm enjoying very much. Uh, At the age of 10, I decided I'd like to be an actor. I helped restore the theatre I was performing in at the time. And this served me well 40 years later when I restored an art house cinema here in Newcastle. When I went to university to do a BA in English, I spent all my time in the theatre and neglected my other studies. They were halcyon days. Uh, I supported myself working with an antique furniture restorer when I, where I learnt the basics of carpentry. I made a few jar- ta- dining tables that I sold to fund a trip to the UK. I spent a year in London doing workshops and seeing as much live performance as I could afford. My professional career as an actor began in Perth when I was uh, 21, Laertes in Hamlet, followed by numerous roles with a variety of theatre companies. And at 23, it was time to seek bigger opportunities in the East, Melbourne, then Sydney, agents, TV, miniseries, commercials, theatre, unemployment, <laughs> subsidised by uh, labouring, work and, um, and carpentry. I lived for eight years in a warehouse in Surrey Hills before it was the trendy thing to do. And we ran a theatre company from there. I remember once being down to my last $50, so went out to spend it on dinner, where I met someone who gave me a job. It's good philosophy on how to live, I think. I was given the opportunity to build a house and thought I probably had the skills to do it, so I did. Uh, But I continued to audition and work as an actor when I could. Performing at night in the botanical gardens after a day on the tools was a challenge. I met Vanessa 23 years ago in the theatre in Newcastle when I was here as a jobbing actor. A Midsummer Night's Dream. She played Puck. I was Lysander. I guess she put a spell on me. (laughs) I helped establish National Arts Organisation Big Art, where I worked for 15 years. The connection between story, community and the mainstream had a big impact on my creative approach. I had the opportunity to perform, to produce, manage budgets and work with numerous diverse communities and artists in cross-platform arts. Having a child and the responsibility that goes with that made me shift priorities around work-life balance. It also prompted the move to Newcastle when Tristan was ready to start school. This enabled the connection with Renew Newcastle and the opportunity to share my skill set there. I see myself as an enabler, creating opportunities for people to experiment with ideas. This is a diverse and rewarding role, but can be somewhat thankless at times. My own creativity needs to be fed, hence the desire to build a writing studio for Vanessa and to perform when I have the time and the play is right. The opportunity to activate the Newcastle station couldn't have come at a better time. 
I'm ready for this next adventure and so is Renew Newcastle. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And this, of course, inspired a plethora of questions in both of us. But we will... Good. (laughs) So we have got a a few things to get to. But firstly, what we both loved about your story is the obvious connection that you have between your creative pursuits and your need to restore and create places that support that passion. So from when you were young and when you were restoring that first theatre, right through to your most ambitious restoration, which I think was the Regal Cinema... What excites you about the process of restoration and creativity still 40-odd years on? I think it's the, the control that you have to be able to embark on something like that. And, right. the, and the, when I say control, I mean the, 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 the opportunity to, do, to, to follow an idea through, to, yeah. to make something happen largely from nothing. And I think that's a, really, a real key thing here. Because, look, building is very expensive. Tradesmen are now very expensive they're the nouveau rich they, you know, are. they are i mean and but when i started it wasn't it was something that you did to you know instead of me being a uh, uh, you know working bars or, or or working a cafe i've never done that it was always getting on the tools and the laboring with stuff was you know 20 bucks an hour kind of stuff but it was absorbing of how to do something and that's why the whole you know build a house thing was like this can't be that difficult uh, and a lot of people are really daunted by that but it's yeah. really you know it's sort of about looking at what makes up a building what makes up it's about giving it – the opportunity is there to give it a go, I yeah. think. And a lot of people – I mean, we see that with all these lifestyle shows that says, yeah. you know, you can do it and everyone you know, can get in and have, it, have a go. But, you know, to sort of take the time and uh, an effort to work out what is the right way to do something I think is really important. Especially with creative spaces, uh, the feeling – I mean, we're sitting in your studio right now. You told us off air that this has almost all been built without a visit to the hardware store, that this has come about by you slowly over time building this up and putting the love into it so that it can be used by yourself and Vanessa as a creative space. Well, look, there's a couple of things there. I mean, one, I'm appalled at the amount of stuff that gets thrown out. And so a lot of the stuff that came from here came from a, a building around the corner, a house that they tore the back off, which is the same age as, as our house here. Uh, and they were just going to chuck all that stuff out to the tip. In fact, I rang the, the, the demolition people and said, look, you know, you've got the weatherboards that are the same as my house. They're, they're really hard to come by. They're 100 years old. You know, can I have some? And, and, and thankfully he said yes. And I went over there the days the truck, the, the semi-trailers arrived for them to load all this 100-year-old timber. That's 100-year-old when it was built, used to build. So yeah. it's come from trees that's, you know, how many hundreds of years old? And they're going to go and use that for landfill. That appalls me. Yeah. yeah. So th- my challenge to build this was very much, can I do this without going to the hardware st- store? No, not possible. I obviously needed to get, you know, certain things like fittings. And, yeah. But I don't throw timber out. And I've, th- there are bits of timber in this building that I've been carrying around for, <laughs> for 20 years, you know. The because, joy when you finally get to use it. I that's think. right. And I knew when I had that, you know, when that piece of timber came my way, I thought, oh, this will become useful somewhere, you know. <laughs> and, yeah, and again, it's like, what can you do? And there were days when I was building this and I go, I know the simple thing for me to do would be go down to the timber yard and go and buy that, but it's going to cost me 60 bucks. What have I got here that I can use to make that? So I did that a lot of times in here. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there's some great themes there around sustainability. Um, also, I just love this idea of creating places that will then have stories inside of them, whether that's a house that you live in or obviously a studio where someone's writing, but but that they're encapsulating stories. Anyway, 
that so, came up. So, well, this place is full of stories. So, I mean, I yeah. could walk you around here and yeah. point to everything in here and tell you the story of it. Mm. The person who gave it to me or, you know, how I use that, you know, and that's, that is, you're so right. And this is a place that Vanessa writes stories. Mm. So that, that sense of stories. Yeah, you can, feel, yeah. you can feel it coming in here. Absolutely. And, and, and Vanessa said that when she, she came in here. She said, darling, this is really a really lovely place to work. I like being here. Oh. And I just thought at this time when she's got a hugely, you know, big year on. Yeah. She's coming out here in the morning now and she just, you know, I get up and she's not in the house and I know she's out here. It's great. Yeah, I've got a place in Mayfield in Newcastle that needs a girl <laughs> spark, if you're willing. Yeah, we're hey, we looking for some work. Yeah. Talk, but, you know, like I think of the number of hours that went into this. Yeah, then. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing I, I love about the way you talk about building this, it just really reminds me of what you said about your life philosophy yeah. uh, that you touched on. And I just please, 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 I would like you to share with us how we can turn $50 into a job opportunity. Well, I think, you know, a lot of people get very fearful. One of the things, and you know this, you've worked in the, as the hand-to-mouth creative as, as actors, performers, you know, it makes it easier for us in the world that we live in now where there is no job for life. But I think, you know, 30 years ago, when there was still expectation that you'd have a job for life, and I think there still is, not so much with the younger generation, but that is, is no... I'm no it's much more that, widely you know, accepted now. This yeah. job I have with Renew Newcastle is the first time I've been full-time employed, you know, beyond a, 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 a contract to deliver a show or yes. something like yeah. that. You know, I, mean, I did have a year-long contract before with a theatre company yeah. many years ago, but really, you know, that was a, a means to an end. Yeah. But so to get to the age of 50 and, and, and then have your first you know, employment. Hi, Mum. You know, that doesn't faze me too much. Yeah. And Vanessa and I talk about this all the time, you know. If we lose that job, what happens? Well, it will be okay. We'll work it out. So I think that comes back to that, that thing with the $50. And I was rem- I'd forgotten all about that, but I was reminded of that by a friend of mine who's a musician who said, I'll never forget that time you were down to your last 50 bucks. And you said, let's go out to dinner. And we both went out together together and, and spent that 50 bucks and met somebody at that dinner who said, I'm looking for somebody to, to do some renovation on this building. Yeah. And we said, we can start on Monday. And there we were. You know? <laughs> and I thought, what a great, that is such a, a, a great thing to do because the, the, the tendency might be to go, oh shit, you know, I'm down to 50 bucks. How long can I make? this last how long can I sort of squirrel this away and sit at home well if you're sitting at home you're not engaging you're not open to yeah. anything I had a similar story when I was in London um, you know I, was, I don't know I, was, I don't know how old I was you know mid 20s or something late 20s and I, I remember we were waiting to get a visa to go to the Soviet Union at the time and we were depleting our savings and mm. I said to my partner at the time I'm going out I'm not coming back till I've got a job but just saying that put that you're in that you frame. Know, yeah and and it's sort it's of a focus it's about taking a that risk, and I think yeah. we forget to do that as creatives. Yeah. We often go, yeah, I could do that, you know. Pick up the phone, make the call, and look, I I don't do this all the time. I'd love to do this. Yeah. I say it's how I aspire to yeah. live, really. Yeah. Just take that chance, yeah, make I, the call, and back yourself. Yeah. I heard something a year or so ago about this idea of, and I've talked about it on the podcast before. I think about being choosing to be brave, and that it's one thing to choose to be brave one day and go, okay, I'm going to get rid of this job to pursue an acting career but you actually need to choose that bravery every day you do and you need to back yourself and I think there's a tension here as well between you know just having the the chutzpah to go and do that (laughs) but there's a lot of bullshit as well people do a lot of bullshit and, and you know you see this I think it's about knowing that you are up for the challenge backing yourself and say you know I'm right for this but don't don't over oversell yourself don't don't bullshit do you know? Deliver what you say you can do, and I think that's really important to get that balance. Yeah. So let's turn the focus to acting now. You've been a jobbing actor for many years. What do you love about it? 
what keeps you coming back? When I first started and when I was young, I, I sort of naively thought, you know, I could change the world. And I think that was the desire to do that. I think the turning point came for me in, in the early 90s when I was doing Home and Away. Yep. Uh, and I, and I, I had just done a show with a, with a director who was very passionate about not changing the uh, writer's words. And I don't think in Australia we're very, uh, we're not very respectful still of, of mm. the writer's words. I'm married to a writer. Of course, you know, yeah. this was before that, though, you know, and I had this, this sense that we do need to, rather than improvising and, and, and doing our thing, how are you ever going to, you know, maintain a structure, an arc, a narrative arc, you know, if you're not going to trust your writer? So I was doing Home and Away, having worked with this director who, who had not changed a word in this play that we'd done, which I felt needed a lot changed in it, but he made it work. And it was terrific, a terrific learning experience. So off I went to Home and Away and was given this line. I'll tell you this line because I, I think it was, I was playing. Here we go. You know, I, I, was, I was playing a character who'd been in jail and, and you know, was now sort of falling off the tracks again. I was the, I was. Um, Typecast again. Ju- ju- yeah. I was just, I was, I was Justine Clark's uh, boyfriend. She was playing yeah. Rue. This is the, yeah. this is the era it was. Yeah. And it was at a time and, uh, and yeah, Justine was fantastic. And I was new to television as well. I mean, it was a, it was, I was very familiar with, with theatre, but not the, the TV thing. And, you know, I was being set up for, for you know, to, to get done again and I was going to possibly get in trouble and get sent back to jail. And I was talking to, to Rue in the cafe about uh, a guy who, who I, someone I'd witnessed being beaten up in jail. And the line was, <laughs> that animal turned him into a vegetable. I can't go back in there, wow. Rue. I can't go back. Now, Justine said to me, just change it, just change it. And I said, no, 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 I've been working with this director. We can make that work. Yeah. You can't make that work. <laughs> I challenge you. Anyway, I mean, that was just one, yeah, one little story. But, but I felt at the time, I thought, you know, this is not what, this is not changing the world. This is not what I, hmm. I felt, I, I, you know, it got me into this. And then it was, it was then I sort of started working with Big Art and that whole, you know, the beginning of that idea. And I thought, this is amazing, that you can use theatre, live performance, as a way to challenge people. Um, because you're having a shared experience, you've got a group of people all in a space together. And I think, not like film, but I think that the experience in a, in, a, in a movie cinema is different. I think you have your own individual experience, but I think in the theatre you have a shared experience. And there's an opportunity, therefore, for people to be changed, for behaviour change to happen, for those profound aha moments can happen, or that collective moment can happen with an audience. And that's what excites me. And so that's why I say I'm very picky about what I do these days because it's not just about for me the challenge of doing a great role yes that's part of it but what is this play about what is relevant about this work that we're doing that could make a difference in the world that we're living in and I think that's what that's what makes me want to be part of the arts in general you know whether that's an actor or whether that's you know you know doing whatever we do and isn't that the joy of experience that you do get to the point where you know the stories that you want to be involved in and the, the things that you want to be saying. So social change, I mean, it's essential to us as storytellers as well and, and one of the reasons that we're really excited to talk to you today. And it's great that you brought up your role at Big Heart, which is an organisation tackling disadvantage in isolated communities, which sounds like it required all of your creative skills, acting, production and project management more than that. How do you feel that working at Big Heart informed your creative approach, in particular the way you view 
story and community. The beauty of it was that was that I, I started largely as a performer with that organisation. I mean, the organisation was very much in its infancy at the time. Scott Rankin, who's the artistic director, you know, asked me to come down as an, as an actor, but I knew that would involve running some workshops. Uh, and very quickly, I realised that here was an opportunity. I, mean, I think what big art gave me was this philosophy to work where you create opportunities for people. And, and my whole philosophy now is about, you know, you want to do something? Great. How can I assist you to make that happen? Yeah. You're going to do it, yeah. but how can we remove the obstacles that are preventing you from doing that? And I think that's what Big Art did. Can you give us a really quick example of what Big Art does? Okay. A project they might have done so the listeners can understand exactly what they're all about and I guess how it comes to life. There is amazing story, um, stories in, in our community that are, that are hidden on the fringes um, that we don't often get to hear about. I worked for five years maybe even seven years in uh, Surrey Hills in the public housing estate, the Northcote uh, public housing estate. Now in that building, which was built post-war, uh, opened in, in 61, and housed people from, from the diaspora from, from the war, from a lot of people from Europe, they're, they're, uh, it, it was, it was a, a, a project in, in social housing back then where this, these modern apartment blocks were built, and it was one of the first in, uh, in Australia, I think, and, and certainly the largest in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, it started off with, with great intense, but quickly spiralled into not a, a great social experiment from that perspective. Yet there were people who had lived there, who had lived there from the 60s, who we, we got to meet. Now, at the time we started that project, the, the space was known as Suicide Towers. There were regular, uh, suicides from people jumping off the building. There was drug dealers. There was there was a a, a massive dismemberment murder, triple murder. Was it a triple murder? I'm not sure exactly. That that happened, which was going to hit the news the day that two planes flew into the twin towers in uh, in 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 um, the US. Yeah. So that didn't get the traction that it would have got. But this was a dangerous place as it was perceived in the media. Lots of lots of negative stories. Uh, and there it was in the heart of, of Sydney. And there it was opposite Belfast Street Theatre. Hmm. Yeah. So to start there, we went, here is a theatre company that is a renowned theatre company in, the, in, in Australia with this wealth of story across the street. And we knew there was a wealth of story there because we had... Um, one of the, our key workers, a guy called Dominic Greno, was working for Department of Housing at the time as a community development worker. And he said, you should come in here. And he was a friend, you know, colleague. You should come and work here. It is a great project here. There is enormous story. 1,200 people living there. But the stories we were hearing about in the media were the nasty ones, the suicides, yeah. the drug dealings, the arrests, the whatever, you know, the murders. And we wanted to scratch the surface and see what was underneath there. And, of course, this wealth of story. So the challenge then became how do we shift the, the perceptions of the broader community about what is actually here? Because it's too easy. So it's, this is the behavioural change. You know, yeah. bloody house scum, you know, the only time that the, 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 the patrons of the theatre knew anything about the Northcote when they came back to return to their cars after a lovely night in the theatre and it had been broken into and some asshole had, you know, stolen it from the houses, yeah. you know. Yeah. Now, that's not really the story we felt that was there. Yes, there's a, an, an element of that. It's and the there are many the reasons. Takes, that's the one that the media takes. Yeah. There are many reasons for that. The, the, the Olympic Games and the, dis, you know, the cleaning up the streets of Sydney and let's you know, make the, the priority housing, those the homeless and you know, the disenfranchised and so, and without many supports. So it has a big impact upon that community. So look, this is a massive, massive project. But what I'm getting at is that 
you start working with people there and we would go in and we'd initially start door knocking say hello to people we'd sit down can we have a cup of tea and we'd have a cup of tea with people and then somebody else might walk past in the corridor and say have you met so and so why don't you, you know have them come in for a cup of tea and then they would start to talk with each other and say do you mind you know you keep talking we'll leave and so it was this kind of cup of tea approach to introducing people and creating community that was that was the beginning right yeah and then we started doing things out outdoors and running barbecues and people would come up and What's going on here? Oh, well, we're, you know, we're, we're gathering stories and, you know, we're getting involved. We've got a photographer involved. Get involved with this photographic project. You know, tenants are taking photographs of each other. Yeah. We're recording stories. We have an idea that we're going to create a show for Belfast Street, which is what we were going to do. Look, that didn't end up working for the theatre, although the show was written. But it just I'm didn't sure a million... Their, their, their I... season. But we got it into the Sydney Festival, which was really key to do. And the reason we got it into the Sydney Festival is because I took a whole series of these beautiful portraits portraits that have been taken, tenant by tenant it was called, pictures of tenants by other tenants, which were mentored by a professional photographer, my brother, Keith Saunders, plug, (laughs) um, who was terrific, you know, but... The the director, Fergus Leinhammer, of of the festival at the time, saw these images and said, this is amazing. This is, this is the story. Yeah. Let's hear this story. And so we got this show on at the Sydney Festival, awesome. which was crucial because what we wanted to do was to open up this estate and allow other people to come in and see another side to this life. Yeah. That is what Big Art does. It takes the story from the fringes and brings it to the mainstream and in doing so challenges the perceptions of people that people have to those outsiders, whether they're single mothers, whether they're isolated indigenous communities. And and, and it's important that, that that story gets brought to the main stage mm-hmm. and and we challenge those preconceived ideas yeah. about what people think. So that is an amazing place to work yeah. and there are amazing opportunities to explore many different avenues of story. As I quickly became a producer and, and wore many hats and did, and I sort of mentioned to you earlier about, you know, how far do you keep upskilling yourself? Do you, do I, you know, I chose not to learn film editing yeah. at the time because I thought my head is full yeah. and there's somebody else who we should bring on to do that. And the project and, management thing, you start to get a point where you become good at everything, this utility person where you go, oh, I can just do that and you pick up another skill and oh, I can just do that and you pick up another skill and before you know it, you, you're probably overburdening yourself. With- this is where the enabling stuff comes in. Find the expert. Find the person who really wants to do that. You want to be a filmmaker? Here's an opportunity to come and be a filmmaker. Come and do that. Work with this community. And in doing so, the, the, what we've got to manage very carefully there is the, is the attitude towards the people we're, we're working with. They're not clients. They're participants. Yes. You know, they're people whose story we want to tell. And we want to value those people. Correct. And so we become about enabling those people as much as we are the artists who are having the opportunity to work with them. So it is participatory arts, and I think that's the key word. It's everyone participating, it's the artist participating, it's the, it's the community participating, and it's all about valuing the story that the participant has. And there is amazing stories, stories of, particularly with the disenfranchised, stories of survival. Yeah. Yeah. Working with teenage kids who'd fallen out of education who were on, the, on the, the cusp of being you know, incarcerated or involved with juvenile justice. But these have been failed by the system. The school didn't want to know about them anymore. They were the truancy kids. They were the ones that were hardest to work with. But the wealth of story from these kids who survive on a daily basis, and it is a daily basis, how am I going to eat today? How am I going to get by? Maybe I'll nick something, whatever. But the, the life skills of those individuals is extraordinary and much greater than the one that my yeah, son has, who's 11, to be. because it has to be. Yeah. They don't realise that they have this wealth 
of story and knowledge. Our job then is to try and you know encourage them so that their their life trajectory can shift, their career trajectory, if, if career is even on the on the radar, can shift for them to become included. Yeah, this is more a side note than a question, but uh, just from your from the last few stories you've you've told us, I just keep thinking there's this idea that we listen to people to create art and the the outcome is fantastic and achieves all of the things that the outcome achieves but just this initial first act of listening to people and it made me think of when we spoke to Sue Maslin a couple of months ago and she talked to the women in the um, women's land army who had sat on their experiences for decades and they would it was for a documentary and, and these women for the first time would have the opportunity to talk and often end in tears and, yeah, and it sounds like the same thing that yeah. you're bringing up here. And so they don't think here. they've got a story. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you come in and you talk to somebody, I want to hear your story, I've got a good story, you know. I worked with farming families in the Murray-Darling Basin who were suffering the massive drought and it was all about water. Tell us your story. Oh, I don't have a story to tell. And then, you know, it takes time and you realise these extraordinary stories that make up who we are as a nation. So you and Vanessa have been together for a very long time 23 now. Twenty-three years, <laughs> really. <laughs> Twenty-three wonderful years. It's, we're still in the honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> so Vanessa is a graduate of NIDA playwriting, and she is not only a, a well-known but awarded playwright. And she's done uh, Porn Cake at Malthouse and Griffin, Darling Oscar at, at the STC, Checklist for an Arm Robber, which is probably one of her. Most widely, highly regarded, produced, yep. yeah, uh, and has won quite a few awards, including the Victorian Premier's Literary Award. Her latest work, A Ghost in My Suitcase, has been commissioned for Barking Gecko this year, which is yeah. very exciting. Mm. So you're both firmly entrenched in the arts and in some ways share similar crafts. Can you share with us what you have learned over the many 23 years about fostering a working creative as well as a personal relationship and and if you think there are any unique qualities involved there that's a that's a difficult question isn't it but i can see why you've asked that question you want to find the key don't you um well i think i think the aim of this is that there's something for us to take away from your learnings (laughs) we often say to each other we're not rich but we have rich lives and we that's kind of our mantra in a way, we have enough to get by and we want to do things that we want to do. I see so many people not happy in their work life. I think that, to me, work and life are one of the same thing. I, I mean, I, people talk about retirement. I can't fathom what retirement... Mm. Yeah, what are you retiring from? Yeah. You, know, what, you know, to me, it all integrates. And I think Vanessa feels the same although she would love me to, you know, sort of, I think, compartmentalise a little bit more, you know. I mean, if we go away together uh, somewhere, um, I will find a way to tie that into some kind of, you know, work (laughs) thing. And she goes, can we just be on holiday together? And I I get the need for that. But at the same time, to me, it's all integrated. And I think it is the same for Vanessa as well. I mean, she's constantly, she will tell this story about being, you know, it's not all been plain sailing, let me tell you. It's it's peaks and troughs. But, you know, at her lowest point when she thought, you know, I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to go be a midwife and learn to do that. (laughs) And then she sort of took herself off to the cinema and she kind of went, 
Oh, I've just gone back to narrative. That's what I've done. I've gone back to story. I mean, of course. So, so you know, I know that Vanessa sort of is constantly looking for that. She is a great. We're very different. We are very. You know, we are yin and yang. I'm the. I'm the. I'm a Sagittarian who will seize anything and just go see the best and everything and go out and you know blindly optimistically blunder my way through. And she will roll her eyes and be much more tentative. But I think it's a really great balance yeah. because I think. You know, I've pushed Vanessa into do th- doing things that she would otherwise not have done, mm-hmm. um, and she has certainly uh, made me take stock of some of the stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, it's a really, it's a very lovely balance. You know, I mean, she's a very keen observer of of uh, in, which is what you want in a writer. In a writer, yeah, absolutely. What you want in a photographer, you want to forget a photographer's in the room. Yeah. You know, a documentary yeah. photographer. Yeah. You know, you forget the cameras there, yeah. and people who have got that ability to do that is great. And Vanessa's very much like that. She. Yeah. And just quietly absorb. I remember my mother saying uh, of Vanessa when she met her, you know, 23 years ago. Um, <laughs> I have to be very careful about what I say about around you, don't I, Vanessa? Because you don't forget anything. You know? <laughs> <laughs> sort of absorbs, you know, which is a, a, a great quality to have, but very respect, respectful. And I think you touched on this before, Lauren, about this idea of when you take story, how you get the balance, because a lot of people can take story and, and be proprietary about that and say, okay, this is my story now, and I don't give a fuck about what I've, how, how you might feel about from, how I yeah. refine this story. Vanessa, it's incredibly respectful. She has a, has a beautiful quality, and I, I, I use this analogy to describe Vanessa sometimes. If, she, if we go to a party, if it was a party for Vanessa, and there were 50 people there, if there was 20 people there, however many were there, and one person was sitting in the corner not looking engaging. engaged, Vanessa would gravitate towards that mm. person and have a conversation there. Everyone else is celebrating, you know, and that's the quality that she has, which is... Which is beautiful, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and I would just go, that's my party, what are you doing? Get out, you're not going to have a fun. <laughs> so I think um, this is a great time for us to really get stuck into talking about Renew Newcastle. And this is such a, a passion for you, Nick, and particularly as someone who's just arrived in Newcastle. So I might handball to you for this one. Yeah, of course. So Renew Newcastle was one of those really positive things for me and it was one of those things that I ticked off on the list of going, yeah, I could totally live in this city and the project's fantastic and you are the general manager of Renew Newcastle, Christopher. It's a not-for-profit organisation that aims to activate dormant spaces within the Newcastle region and allow creatives basically a space to explore ideas. Now, it's a transformative idea, yes, and it was originally conceived by Marcus Westbury, who people might know, uh, I believe he is now looking after the Collingwood Arts Precinct in Melbourne, but he's also pretty well known for a book called Creating Cities, and he's a bit of a guru when it comes to urban renewal projects. Uh, And in his book, there's a paragraph within that book that I really wanted to share because I think it really sums up what Renew Newcastle does. Now, I have paraphrased slightly, so forgive me please, Marcus, but here it is. Newcastle was dying. Everywhere I looked, the rot was worse than I remembered. Streets that in my memory were vibrant, active, and filled with family and friends had fallen into disrepair and despair. On a walk, I counted 130 empty buildings. What if the problem was not that no one wanted to do anything, but those that wanted to, for whatever reasons, couldn't? I gradually got sucked into asking why the city wasn't working for people like us and how it might be made to work. So there it is. The concept is brilliant. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about what you see the project as, Christopher, and I guess how it's coming to life in Newcastle 
as well as its work across Australia and globally? I think, you know, and I talk about this a lot. Now, I came into Renew when it was four years old, five years old, I think. And the when it started, it was... I mean, that's a very good... You know, I'm glad you read that from Marcus. I think it's exactly what it was. I often say it's 150 projects, the, the properties that he, he counted, but uh, perhaps it was only 130. I'm sure he's 150, but still, <laughs> there was 20 he missed, but you know, <laughs> there was certainly a lot. It's it hard very, to count once you get to 100. It was, again, <laughs> and, yeah. it was very opportunistic to start with. You know, it was... I know, from Marcus's perspective, this is, you know, he knew arts people here. He, he grew up here. He grew up here. He'd started, this is not art festival. Yeah. That's what Marcus had done. So he knew a lot of creative people here. And he knew they were working from sunrooms, from spare rooms, from garages. And here was the, all these empty buildings in the city that was dead. It was, let us just, is there a way we can match these empty spaces with these creative people? And I think really it was about that will be good for the creative people. It wasn't all these knock-on effects that we've seen happen that the city's come to life. I mean, they weren't necessarily on the agenda at that time. Yeah. They were sort of the accidents of, of you know, getting this up and running. But, um, so, yeah, completely opportunistic, as artists are. I mean, yeah. we are. We do this. We've seen this over the, uh, uh, the world over. We look at the way places become gentrified very quickly. Artists, mm. you know, make a place yeah. attractive. Uh, and then it gets gentrified and then they get moved out. The place becomes dull. Um, often, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and so, you know, here's a, here's a very rare situation where you've got a whole city that's a, a, a blank canvas. I think in the early days... It was very obvious what needed to be done, what the opportunity... The opportunity, opportunity presented an artist with a space to, do, to carry out their idea. But the city was dead and empty. And so in order to get people to come and support the work of the artist, yeah. obviously you need to get people in yeah. the city. So that's where the, the, this idea started, that this is actually an urban renewal process. And people would come in and... You know, these buildings had been closed for 10 years or more, some of them, and they were dirty. There was, you know, cosmetic stuff largely that needed to be done. I mean, that's all we really tackled. Yeah. We couldn't really tackle structural stuff because that was, you know, yeah. heritage a bit, a bit, a bit and too, yeah. a bit too, too problematic. But it was very clear that you needed to come in, roll your sleeves up, get the mop out, get a paintbrush out and a roller, uh, and make this place yeah. funky, Something, you know. Yeah. Where we've come now is that. There's a lot happening in the city. I mean, like, I think it's fair to say that Renew Newcastle kick-started the renewal in Newcastle. Yeah. Now, these aren't my words. These are the words that other people keep saying, and it's better when other people say it because, you know, if you start, <laughs> you know, blowing your own trumpet, you know, it sounds a bit hollow. But, I, but, but, you know, I'm, so I'm quoting other people who say this, and I, you know, I concur, that it did, it did create this, uh, this interest. If you see a... Any media about Newcastle over the last five years, it will mention the creatives and Renew Newcastle. Now, I've got to be very clear about this. Renew Newcastle is a very small organisation that runs... Look, I'm the only full-time employee. Um, we have a few other contractors and the team is formidable. But, you know, it, it's, it's the equivalent of, I think, about just two and a half full-time positions that the organisation supports at the moment. It's probably only one and a half. Um, but um, it's a lean organisation. But what makes up Renew is the 260 projects that yeah. we've enabled over the, over the nine years that we've been going. They are Renew. 
So it, this is when I come back to the enabling thing. Now, I already felt I was an enabler before I came and took on the role. But, you know, it is, if someone's got an idea, how can we help you realise that idea? And if it's, a, if it's an idea that's going to fail, that's okay. How, you know, fail and fail quickly and fail cheaply, yeah. you know, because failure is not supported enough in the world that we live in. And so, yeah. as I said, these are the knock-on effects that happen as, you know, from that opportunism of matching an artist with a vacant space. Mm-hmm. We've, we have created this place where you can try stuff, you can experiment with stuff, and you can experiment with the community. Now, for me, it's really important that you do experiment with the community. It's not just about putting somebody in a space. Activation participation, two key words with Renew. If you you don't pay rent, you pay a participation fee. To participate means that you are part of something and the something that you're a part of Mm. is collaborating with other like-minded people but also collaborating with the community and engaging with the community. At the same time, I would also say to our people, your audience is not here. Your audience is the rest of the world. You know, if we just look at Newcastle as a small and it is relatively small enclave, uh, and with this rivalry between Melbourne and Sydney. <laughs> and I'm from Western Australia. I know, I know parochialism. I, I, I grew up there in the 70s and 80s, and when you know it was the most isolated city in the world, and you know, God, we used to talk about over east, yeah, and this. Yeah, yeah. I see a lot of similarities between. Perth in the yeah. 70s, 80s, and and and, and and Newcastle now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So I think that what we need to do is, and it comes back to my my uh, conversation before about culture and cultural identity you know Vanessa when she when we moved up here was worried about moving to Newcastle because she didn't felt she was going to lose her connections in the city you know I don't want to move back to Newcastle she's from here you know oh, okay. I just I don't want to I'm worried about what that's going to mean I don't really want to work in Newcastle I said well you know you're not coming in here to work as a playwright with people in Newcastle yes you might do that but that's not your purpose you're actually going to work you know, use this as a base for the rest of the world. And she laughed at that. Mm. But within six months of us being here, she had a play that was being workshopped in New York. And so she went off to New York with this play and I said, you know, there you go, that's what I'm talking about. And, and, and for then, she hasn't looked back. Now, I use that analogy because I think that's really similar to what I'm saying to the people who are working in the Renew spaces, you know. Look at the way technology is. It connects us to the rest of the world. I think the, one of the reasons that people like yourself are interested in coming here is because we're living in a world now where we are connected globally uh, and you can almost live anywhere. We don't need to live in a, in, a, in a great big city like Sydney where it's impossible to get around and it's you know, expensive <laughs> and prohibitive. Rent expensive. I think this is why you know, Newcastle has now become attractive because of the likes of you know, the enterprises that have been encouraged through an initiative like Renew. There are others, but... There, therein lies an opportunity that's been created, created for people to come here and engage with the rest of the world. Yeah. And from that, you know, you said that Renew has—it's been the biggest cultural export for Newcastle yeah. over the last ten years. You said it was coming to Melbourne, is that right? Well, the the model has been replicated in thirty-nine towns and communities around Australia and yeah. nine international. Yeah. Now, I don't think Newcastle really knows that. That how how it's like anything you know you do something in a place and people are, oh yeah bloody Renew yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, but they don't realise that the the the, the attraction the that far uh, the, the effects pull of that, that that's yeah. had yeah. in other places I mean it's been extraordinary I get yeah. calls on a on a weekly basis from places around Australia but also places around the world you know people emailing saying love this you know we want to write about this in I'm from the you know UK in Cambridge and I want to you know write this thesis on this yes we can we can talk about that because it has 
you know, had an impact. Um, And so if we bring it back to locally and we look at the 260 projects that have um, taken place in Newcastle so far, if we look specifically at a new project, which is very exciting and part of the Renew Newcastle affiliation, is the Newcastle train station, which due to the new inner city light rail construction had been left dormant. And it's it's an amazing old precinct and of course you have had the unique opportunity of offering up to 18 month leases for a site that sits proudly in the heart of Newcastle to artists and it has the apt project name of platform four can you tell us a little bit about what to expect and what you hope comes from the community and and this space the station closed in uh, boxing day 2014 and sat empty for you know three years and for us, that's exactly what we want to prevent. You know, empty building, we could have used it. It would have been great to have that in, in, in those three years. What has happened to Renew in the last 18 months is we've seen cranes go up in the sky. And there's a perception in the city now that Renew is done. It's finished. It's, 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 it's achieved It's achieved it's, set its purpose. Yeah. Um, and people, are, because the, the, the cranes are there, I say people are stargazing. Mm. They're looking up and they go, oh, it's all happened. You know, it's all happening, <laughs> you know... Um, but the reality of what's happening at the ground is there's mass disruption, as there is with any change in the city. And I'm seeing, we're seeing the, the, the biggest number of vacancies that we've seen since the time I've been in Newcastle um, because people are moving out because rents aren't coming down. In fact, rents are, if anything, being inflated a little prematurely, I would say. Uh, and there's disruption because of all this works. You've seen this happen in Sydney with the light rail yeah. um, uh, and George Street. Um, and these projects take a long time to build. You know, it's two and a half years to, to, to put this infrastructure in. Coupled with that, we've had a big supercars race that's been massively disruptive in the city. Um, and so we're seeing this, this, this decline. But we weren't getting traction as Renew. We were saying, look, we can work with this disruption, work with this, work with this. And, and the hard thing is, is getting property owners to see the value in this Renew Newcastle initiative. The reality is, is we've done some economic modelling that shows that the big beneficiaries of the Renew Newcastle model are the property owners because we are custodians of a building when we're there. Mm. We, 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 we're in there, we, you don't have to pay for security because we're there. If, you're, if you've got somebody activating a building, you're not going to have the vandalism, you're not going to have the break-ins. Mm. You know, it's, it's a, a place that's going to be kept fresh. If there's a leak in the roof or the pigeons get in, you contact the property owner and you let them know, alert them to that, and they can come and take the, the measures. But yeah. if the building is just sitting there idle, it is so vulnerable. Obviously, the train station... The state government, who were the custodians of that, did not want to see that happen, and they put this out to tender, and we applied, and they gave it to us to to be the the ones who manage it. And that seems to make a lot of sense. It's a temporary activation. They only want us there for 18 months. Um, And the reason for that is, you know, that's when the light rail will be finished. That's when a lot of the apartments that are being built in the city will be... be, completed there will be a change of the way this city sees itself we've seen that change being implemented ever since bhp closed in 1998 and the city had to reinvent itself as a lifestyle city we've been part of that reinvention of course you know with the creatives uh, it's funny that you you know you sell a city as being a creative city but then if you don't support the creatives there and they get moved out to the fringes yeah. and you see the classic regentrification <laughs> model um gentrification model um then <laughs> that's not really helpful but the station opportunity couldn't have come at a better time, as I think I said in my, you know, my you know, story to start with, simply because I felt that 
if we didn't have a major project, then perhaps it would be time to close Renew. And there's no problem with closing Renew. We don't have an issue with that, as long as the work has been done. But with all this other disruption and the vacancies going there, that would have been a crying shame, I it think. Because right. I think yep. we will be called upon again. Cities never finish evolving. They are always evolving places. I mean, you've read Marcus's book. He talks about this a lot. Cities continue to evolve all the time. Just because you build something shining anew, it doesn't mean to say it's not going to, you're not going to have to retrofit it. Or it's, it's about the people and how the people use a city. The, t the station, I think, provides us a great opportunity to collaborate and consult with the community. And this is what we're doing with the, with, with the station. At the moment, we're saying, you know, we're not going to be there till June. So we've got till June to decide who is going to come in and be part of that. What do you want to do in this city, in this space? This is a public, this is a station. This, is a, this is, belongs to the, the city. So if you've got an idea, come and talk to us and we'll see if we can help you realise that idea. I don't want to do that idea. I don't, I don't want to manage that idea. I don't want, we, we know we're not, yeah. Renew is not the ones who are going to do that. Yeah. You're the one who's going to do it. Yeah. But you've got, if you've got the idea, bring it to us and we'll try and help you realise that idea. That's the beauty That's of the station. Yeah. And, and the, the beauty for us as well is Renew Newcastle works up till now has worked on a 30-day rolling license so we only have we are custodians of that building until the property owner has another use for the building they get a better offer a commercial lease or they decide they want to redevelop it so it's a 30-day license that everyone those 260 projects have all signed a 30-day participation wow. participation agreement and they may get asked at any time given their 30 days notice now, that's a big risk that you will take, but 260 projects have come forward and say, yes, we're prepared yeah, to take that risk. We're willing to do it. To go there. Now, some of those projects, yes, they ran for, you know, two, three, four years, um, but others only, only did this, this, you know, one or two months before they got their notice. In the station, we've got 18 months. Great opportunity for us, I think, to, to manage that, oversee that, and, and, and enable people to, to make this a destination. <laughs> I really love hearing you talk about it. It has been... So lovely to talk, uh, especially about Renew Newcastle, but then also about your career because I guess when we originally reached out, uh, it was about Renew, but then to see you had this amazing full acting career, it was just such a fantastic bonus. And I guess as a bit of a final question to you, you look at this podcast, you know, we're all about affecting change as artists. You're at a point in your career where you're literally doing that day to day and there's probably a lot of artists and people out there who want to be affecting more change in their community, in their art, uh, in their careers, whatever it might be. So I guess I wanted to pick your brain and just see what are the tips uh, that you would give to them to help them get started in getting involved in their local community and making a difference. It's interesting being here in Newcastle. People talk a lot. There's a lot of talk, Gunner. I'm going to do this, we should do this, you know, they should do this, you know. I think with Renew, eight years ago, we kind of politely excused ourselves from a lot of very worthy conversations about what could happen, the potential for this um, city. And we kind of said, look, you know, this is great, continue talking, but we're just going to go and do some shit. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, Renew Newcastle happened. And I think the great, there's a great mistake that we make about saying I'm going to do this and I've done it I'm guilty for doing this you know we all do it I think you know but just do it just get out there and do stuff find a way to do stuff I mean that's the beauty of an organization like Renew because I want to hear from people who want to do you want to do that okay how are you going to do that how can we do that you know and so make stuff happen I know that's very easy to say you know 
I think it was probably a lot easier back in the day. I said I said I lived in a warehouse in the eighties, and we ran a theatre company from there. Yeah, look, I was paying one hundred and sixty bucks a week for that warehouse in Surrey Hills, and um, you know I was living on the dole. It's you can't do that now, and rents are so much higher. I, so I know it's the the playing field is very different. Survival is, you know. How do you keep the balance and the tension around those things? You know, we come back to improvising, you know, which actors we, we do, and I've got much better at it. I was crap at it, I think, when I was in my <laughs> early days. I used to hate it. I mean, and hence clinging to the script. But the more I, I was going to say, don't prepare for something, I think the more authentic it is and the more exciting it is to play out. And that's scary. To discover you know. what you're capable yeah. of. Yeah, and I'm not saying, saying be unprepared. I am prepared, <laughs> but I'm not going to agonise over, you know, gee, we're doing a podcast today, what am I going to say? I and, and I think that's a way to live. It's the yes and philosophy again. What are you going to do? Don't just talk about it. Do it. You know, you want to do a show? You want to start a theatre company? Start a theatre company. You know, do a, find a way to make that happen. But ask yourself, why are you doing it? You know, have purpose. Don't just do something because, oh, it's a great opportunity for me as an actor, developer, as an actor or an artist, you know. What do you want to say? What do you, what is, you know, and what's your market? You know, am I, we live in a world where you can reach out to globally, you know. If you're an actor, you know, are you going to film it and put it on YouTube? Are you going to, you know, if you're going to do it, a show in Newcastle, don't just do it for Newcastle. Make it a world premiere and take it to Melbourne and Sydney or anywhere else, you know. But think beyond the immediate. I think that's the key, you know. Think big. I absolutely agree with you. We love doing this. We love connecting to individuals and uh, sharing artistic knowledge and hopefully empowering people to create change in their own careers. But what else can we be doing? And if it was completely big picture, what would that look like? So much of what you've said today rings really true for me and it's just a gift to sit here and talk to someone who has so much experience in the industry and has achieved so much. So a massive thank you for that. We've got some meetings this afternoon. I'm really excited to take this into what we're planning to do next. So thank you so much. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. So Lauren, what were your thoughts on that chat with Christopher? What a fantastic chat. It is always really inspiring. <laughs> do we do this every month? But speaking to people <laughs> who are creating art, that sounds so silly. Not at all. But, you know, every time we speak to someone, you find the things about their processes that you really relate to and really resonate with you on your own journey. Yeah. Um, and one of the big things for me is Christopher's view on being an enabler. Yes. That's something that is very close to my own heart. Mm, definitely. I just love how he talks about this idea of, first of all, figuring out what it is that a person wants and then finding a way to collaborate to bring that thing to life. Yeah. And isn't that lovely? And I, I feel like that's something that every artist should have a part of that within them. That idea of collaboration is based in the idea that you're helping to enable the person you're working with or the group that you're working with, right? It's actually interesting. This just occurs to me. I was speaking to someone at a, an event I went to yesterday mm. and we were having a conversation about that old idea of how not how important it is to not compare yourself to other people yep. on your journey and also advice for how to not do that. And it just occurs to me now while we're talking about this that that idea of how do I help this person get to where they want to be mm. is a really perfect way to do that. Yeah, it's a mindset shift. 
really, isn't it? It's not why am I not in a place that I want to be? Mm. How can I how can I help other people get where they need to be? And I think in in doing so, I think Christopher is a perfect example of this. In doing so, you will uh, get where you want to be on your own creative journey. Yeah, I love that. I love that you've put that into a mindset shift in regards to from you know rather than thinking of it as being jealous of someone for where they're going and and it might not be even that conscious of a thing to be able to change that thought process to be something um, that's a much more positive energy is, is a great thing and I think that that really relates to my takeout in regards to I loved what he said around failing cheap and failing fast I think it's so easy to be trapped in this mindset uh, sometimes, especially when you're making your own work or doing your own projects, to be able to go, oh my Lord, this is a massive process. This is going to take me forever. Where do I even start? You know, um, I've got to have a massive budget to do this. Well, no, no, you don't. Yeah. And I think that you can find out what you're good at or find out the projects that you really want to be working on by getting out there, failing cheap and failing fast um, and just getting it done. Yeah. That's what I love. Yeah. And that, that, there's a freedom in that. Yeah. It's funny, um, particularly having had our conversation last month um, where we talked about our takeaways from the podcast and there's definitely mm. a very strong theme for you about putting this idea of, of failure in a really positive, motivating light. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Recently, I was um, chatting in a, a group and I was speaking to actress Ellen Fenwick and she referred me to an article by a writer called Kim Liao. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And the idea of setting rejection goals and actually aiming for 100 rejections a year. <laughs> that sounds horrendous. <laughs> and I'm like, that's fantastic. And Ellen was just telling me how at peace she feels now that she's been able to change her perspective on rejection and really tap into this idea of seeking failure as much as possible. I just thought it was really interesting. And once again, it's that mindset shift, isn't it? And it goes back to Sue Maslin, the whole idea that she talked about, which we loved so much, was that idea that every no is one step closer to a yes. Closer, yeah. yeah. Mm. So that's lovely. I'm definitely feeling fired up for whatever's coming next. Yeah, and look, Christopher is doing some fantastic stuff and I'm really excited that I'm in Newcastle and get to witness what's going on with uh, most of his projects. So that's very exciting. Witness and maybe a little collaboration somewhere there? Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, there's been chats, definitely. So we'll see what comes of it. And yeah, I certainly wish him all the best with the upcoming projects, especially the train station. Yes, absolutely. Now... (laughs) <laughs> Let's move on to recommendations, Lauren. What have you got for us? Uh, well, I've got yeah, I've got a bit of a, a great recommendation this month. I just wanted to talk about recently. You always bring great recommendations. There's no run of the mill recommendations from you, Lauren. <laughs> what I wanted to talk about was recently I was in touch with Priya Namana at Polyglot Theatre. Now I'm not sure how aware you are of Polyglot's work, Nick. Semi-aware, but Polyglot is an amazing collaborative creator of interactive and participatory theatre for children and families working on contemporary arts experiences for children from babies up to 12 years old. Wow. And among many other fantastic projects that Polyglot is responsible for, Priya is running a community film club program through Kids at Risk, which is designed around transition and building resilience. Now, the kids 
got to choose the artistic medium that they would be working in to tell stories and they went with film. And so the program is now in its second year of funding from Polyglot. Mm. And it is such a great initiative helping kids to develop storytelling through film at school. But it also allows them to discover why connecting with film and the arts is important and also to frame their own experiences of the world through the social context of film. Mm-hmm. And the, the project and everything else that Polyglot is up to is so aligned with uh, the act of storytelling principles or our beliefs in the power of art to create change that I just wanted to mention it. Yeah. So the website is polyglot.org.au if you want to check out what they're all about and hopefully we can share more about share more about this amazing project in the coming months. Yeah. Well, you know, I love this. It has a real parallel to what I've spoken about previously on the podcast, which was when I was at school, there was a wonderful program called Machismo that pretty much did exactly this. And it was about developing storytelling through film, allowing you to connect to the process of making a film. And that singular experience really helped me on my journey to become an actor and producer. So I think these things are really important to uh, get kids young experiencing the world of artistic creation and um, having fun with it at an early age because I think that's so important rather than coming to it too late and not understanding I guess the building blocks of what makes a good film what makes a good story all these things they're so important and also also that idea of working out your own voice and that's what I was about to say even your own voice and and I guess understanding the societies that you live within yeah really cool project by the sounds of it Yes. And what about you, Nick? Have you got any recommendations? I do, actually. I've got a couple that are worth noting. Can I just uh, reel these off really quickly? First of all, since we've got a bit of a Newcastle-themed podcast, I thought I'd shout out to the Newcastle Fringe, which is pretty exciting, isn't it? There's a Fringe Festival here in Newcastle, and it's happening from the 21st to the 25th of March. So... By the time this podcast is out, it's going to be in the month of March and there's around about, I think, 100 plus shows, which is really cool. And hopefully that goes from strength to strength. So if you are up in Newcastle, 21st, 25th of March, get along and check out a few shows at the Newcastle Fringe. That's great. And fringe festivals can be such a great cultural part of a city's identity. Yeah, it's a, it's a direct connection to the artist because uh, it's usually the artist producing and it's usually coming from their voice rather than a collective, I guess. So that's a really raw way to watch theatre and experience art. So get along, check out Newcastle Fringe. And what's your second recommendation for the month? Lightning Jar Theatre. Ah, Good friends yes. <laughs> of the podcast uh, doing Venus in Fur. And that is coming up shortly too, Lauren Bailey. It's happening from the 9th of March to the 24th of March at 45 Downstairs, that wonderful little venue in Melbourne. Yes, it's such a great space and I am looking forward to getting along myself to see the Lightning Jar Theatre team in action in just a few days' time. Yes, and knowing the cats that are involved with that, it's going to be great. (laughs) Fantastic. And how are things looking in the world of Nicholas Kane for the month ahead? Yeah, Lauren, so the month ahead, fully into this routine idea that I spoke about up front, I think there's really a couple of focuses for me for the month ahead. One obviously is acting, so just continuing the process of travelling to Sydney, auditioning, uh, working on my craft, finding some classes up here in Newcastle. Great. 
part two of the focus, I guess, is making my own work. So there is a film I've been talking about a lot. I have got off my ass and I have created a deadline for this film now. So that's an exciting thing when you've got that little... We should talk. (laughs) Yeah, I'll keep you in suspense for a little bit longer. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, another thing that's been happening a little bit, I've been hosting a lot of gigs recently. And it's funny how sometimes these things happen in clusters. Uh, Like, you know, I'd hosted maybe one or two gigs last year. Uh, This coming month, there's four things that I'm hosting, which is kind of cool, you know, and and it's people approaching me. So it's really exciting to see what's going on there, I guess. (laughs) You know, it's fun to do things like that and to change up your, you know, your, what's the word I'm looking for here, Lauren Bailey? Routine. Routine. (laughs) Thank you for listening to what I've been talking about. Uh, So yeah, that's going to be fun. So they're really the focuses for the next uh, month ahead. What about you? So as I mentioned, I... On the other side of the interview, I'm feeling really focused about what I'm putting out into the world at the moment. Mm-hmm. So there's three things. And the first one is, of course, my acting, mm-hmm. refreshing my promotional portfolio at the moment. I'm also starting rehearsals shortly for a remount mm-hmm. of Cuckoo at the North Melbourne Meat Market in April, which will be up as a double bill with the Baker's Dozen production of Mike Bartlett's Cock, which is directed by the wonderful Bang O. And you know, just all the other business as usual bits and pieces that comprise the life of an actor. Mm. I'm also very focused on writing for the development of the series for In Life Today, which is having some exciting progress. And my third focus is, of course, working my way toward my scary end of year goal of creative financial freedom. I I love that. Creative financial income. It sounds like you've become an accountant and you're throwing these Christmas parties. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, very good. We did miss one thing, Lauren, that I wanted to mention that maybe you could put on the end. Did I? (laughs) Is maybe just put on there, Oscars 2019, how do we get there? Of course, right. (laughs) You know, like I'm just very disappointed there was a lack of Lauren Bailey and Nick Kane at the Oscars. (laughs) Even if it looks like at the moment I could just replace Jimmy Kimmel as the host. That, you know, that's a starting point. Well, I still have a goal of a filming competition at the Cannes Film (laughs) Festival, so maybe that could be our way in. Yeah, I I almost don't care how we get there, Lauren. I think we just have to get there. Is my <laughs> well, let's get cragging on that. And I'm very keen for us to figure this out. Yes. And so that, of course, brings us to the end of another great podcast. And while we are both busy working on our plan for the Oscars 2019, please feel free to head over to theactorstorytelling.com.au to check out any of the awesome podcasts from our back catalogue. And if you want to get in touch with us, please do. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, uh, storytelling. Or via the email, which is theactivestorytelling at gmail.com. Yes. Thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. You're all part of Nick and my own creative journeys, so thank you. A massive shout-out to the fantastic Anita Quayle for her wonderful Teos theme music and everyone else who has helped us along the way. So, you know, just continue to join us on The Active Storytelling. Thanks for listening.
Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com.